The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey there, welcome to Big Universe. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. Joining me today is my amazing co-host, spiritual rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose, and look for her new book, Sacred Sendoffs, an animal chaplain's advice for surviving animal loss, making life meaningful, and healing the planet. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm excited today. Why are you excited? I don't know. I haven't quite figured out why, but do you ever have those moments where you're just... You just kind of feel excited in the midst of the craziness of the world. And you think, why, why do I feel good today? I don't know. I'm having one of those days. Today, we're going to be talking with David Gandelman about the seven energies of the soul. I think he has some really interesting things to say about energy. I, I don't know about you. I feel like I have a lot of work to do on my energy uh, archetypes. What about you? Well, when I was reading David's book, you know, I always think when I start a book that like, I'm all good, <laughs> everything's fine, I'm in balance, or, or I think like, oh, no, everything's wrong. And, you know, so I tried to enter this book with an open mind of, you know, I'm just kind of curious about what's going on. And I saw myself over and over in each one of these types of energies. So I found like it was almost like getting a prescription in some sort, like I need 10% more of this and 5% more of that. <laughs> so I had to remind myself, you know, not to constantly be trying to fix and just to, to be aware. Yeah, we can get caught in that cycle of uh, constantly trying to fix and change everything. I think these are more about uh, allowing the energies through and just being balanced about the energies. Um, it doesn't feel like so much a fixed thing as an allowance to me. I, that's spot on. That's spot on. I had two or three pages where I read where I was like, oh, he must know me. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that energy may need to flow through a little more because I think it's gotten stuck and it's, you know, creating a little bit of a Tasmanian devil. So it'll be fun to talk with him and kind of understand a little more about his awareness of, of what these mean. And we talk a lot about energy, right? In spirituality. Yeah. And we often talk about it in kind of an amorphous sense, or sometimes it's a replacement for the G word for some people, or, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about it perhaps in a healing sense. We talk about energy in a lot of different ways. So I'm always fascinated to hear from people really, you know, kind of how they're defining that word. So I want to know how your book tour is going, and I call it the Sarah Bowen's Unleashed Tour. You know, we should call it the Unleashed Tour, except we ended up, we were at a, a pet expo a couple of weeks ago, where I think like half of the vendors were selling leashes. So I was a little <laughs> nervous about calling it the Unleashed Tour. You know, I think there's, and this goes to kind of the creator energy, you know, the, the idea of when you've created something, if whether it's a painting or, or a a piece of writing, or you've created a podcast, Jim, like you do, or, you know, when we start using our creative energy, there's this 
wonderful excitement when you start to put that out in the world. And there's also sometimes a little bit of nervousness and trepidation and how will people respond and react. And so book tours for me always are um, a joyful experience, but they're always, you know, a little tentative too of, of, you know, how I've, you know, it's almost like having a child and then you take in that child and you drop it off at nursery school. And you're like, oh my God, I hope it behaves. People <laughs> like the child. And I hope I don't get that phone call saying, come pick your kid up out of the school. Right. 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 So I, I I look at I look at launching books in the same way of, you know, uh-oh, okay, it's got its own journey. And, yeah. and we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's really interesting that you're going to pet expos and that sort of thing. It's not the traditional path for, you know, a book tour. No, we did on the on Spiritual Rebel, we did 17 cities and wow. I did bookstores all over the United States. And it was it was it was great. I met a lot of people um, and, you know, had a lot of interesting conversations all over the U.S. in different types of areas and, and got to see different places in the world and, you know, drop in on different things I didn't even know existed while I was there. But the world is a little different right now with bookstores and some are open and some aren't. And, you know, it's kind of tentative. But the pet people they are going. So we, uh, we went down uh, near DC for the first one. And then we've got another one over in Santa Fe. So, you know, it's kind of neat to see how people, I'm very, very interested in the relationships that people have with other species. And so just being able to see that played out in person, what I learned at this pet show is always carry a lot of paper towels. (laughs) Why is that? Should I know? Yeah, because, you know, dogs sometimes, you know, their they humans don't, res- don't take, they don't, well, no, I don't think it's the dogs. The humans don't catch the signals. I think of the dogs like, you know, hey, we need to go out right now. Um, so that was a new thing. At, on my book tour, <laughs> You don't get that in the bookstores carry... too many. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have to carry paper towels at the bookstore. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting and I'm learning the different energies of the different uh, species that I'm cohabitating these spaces with. And there's all sorts of ethical dilemmas too that I'm trying to work through of you know, things I see that I support and things I see where I go, oh no, please don't do that. You know, so that's part of my journey and part of the book's journey, I guess. Well, that is so cool. I'm excited for you. Um, so do you have a quote for us today? I do. I do. And I guess it, it should be no surprise based on what I just said, what's on my mind. But here's my quote for today. All journeys have secret destinations of which the traveler is unaware. Ooh, I love that. So that true. Again, yes. it's so short. I get to read it twice this week. Please. All journeys have a secret destination of which the traveler is unaware. That is uh, Martin Buber, who's a Jewish philosopher and theologian who's, who's long passed away now, but uh, who's known for his musings on the relationship between the I and the thou, so between the self and the divine. And he really kind of started this conversation of, you know, when we're talking to whatever it is that we talk to in our spirituality, you know, what is the relationship between my human brain and that thing that I'm talking to, that being or that energy or that you know, however I define that. Oh, that is just awesome. I love that quote. I'm gonna have to remember that. What do you have today? Learn to get in touch with the silence within yourself and know that everything in this life has a purpose. Oh, who's that? 
Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Ah, all right. So there you go. She is well known for her work in grief. She is. She is. And so I that's thought, an interesting quote. Why yeah, did it call to you? Um, you know, uh, David talks a lot about meditation as one of the tools to, uh, you know, analyze the seven energies of the soul. And it just, it, it rang true to me because this is something that's the essence of what we discover sometimes in meditation. Beautiful. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're pulling up a lot of different energies into this show today. All right. Are you ready to jump into the interview? Yeah, let's explore the big universe. David Gandelman is a spiritual teacher, author, and guide whose mission is to awaken souls on their path of growing into being human and living an enlightened, purpose-driven life. He's the founder of the Meditation School app and hosts the Meditation School, Energy Matters, and Grounded Sleep podcasts. David holds a bachelor's in Western philosophy from Rutgers University and has taught at Cornell University, NBC Universal, and numerous other organizations. His new book is The Seven Energies of the Soul. Hi, David. Welcome to Big Universe. Hello, hello. Pleasure to be here. It it's, is a big universe. It certainly <laughs> is, isn't it? I, I really enjoyed your book, and I have to say that I found out about it at Jacob Nordby's Institute for Creative Living, Heal and Create uh, event, which was really cool. Yes. Oh, cool. I love that event. Jacob's a good friend of mine. I love him. He's got a great podcast as well. Great guy. Okay, you're not allowed to advertise other people's podcasts. Oh, now, Jim, we've had Jacob on here, and he talked about his podcast, so that's guess, fair game. I guess that's all right. We love our guests. I have to ask about your sleep podcast. Is it snoring, or what do you do on the sleep podcast? Yeah, the Snoring at Night podcast. It's called the Grounded Sleep Podcast, and basically all I do is I just talk and uh, put people to sleep. We'll do a meditation of some kind, or I'll storytell. And it's just a way for people to get to bed and maybe meditate as they're falling asleep. Because I think a lot of us, like, we go into, into sleep and resistance. It's like, all right, I got to knock myself out. so I can get up early and have another good day or mediocre day. And um, my philosophy is why not go to sleep as conscious as possible? Uh, you'll probably have better dreams, deeper sleep and wake up feeling better. So that's kind of the, the mission of the podcast. And out of all the content I make, which is a lot. I do a lot of different things. I have three podcasts. Uh, that's definitely the most popular one. And I think it's because everyone just needs help sleeping. I am oh, going to have to try I, that Jim, out. I'm yeah. on this. I'm going to put away the <laughs> melatonin and I'm going to put David in my ears and there we go. That sounds good. Cause there I go to, is. I go to sleep to I love Lucy sometimes, you know, I put on, I love Lucy just to drain out all the, the stuff. This would be much yeah. better. I love, I love Lucy. I grew up watching reruns. Yep. Great <laughs> and, show. And you are a, a kindred soul because you're a big Star Trek fan from what I understand. Oh, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. It's I, one of my life goals is to go to a convention. I haven't been yet. I went to a sci-fi convention, uh, but not a Star Trek one yet. And I would love to go. <laughs> so I am. I'm a huge Trekkie nerd. Awesome. Well, that's awesome. So uh, the book is uh, really awesome. Seven Energies of the Soul. Uh, I guess I'm wondering what inspired you to write it? How did you get to that place where you wanted to write it? Yeah, you know, I um, at first I just wanted to write a book. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. It was almost like a natural progression of all the content courses, classes that I teach. It just felt like the next piece of the puzzle. And uh, I went up to Victoria, Canada 
Vancouver Island, a beautiful place. Oh my God. And I had a friend who lent me her house for about a month. Lucky me. And I just kind of walked up and down the water every night, listening to podcasts on writing and just started uh, incubating some ideas. And one of the things that came to me was I've taught thousands of students over the years. I've done so many one-on-one counseling sessions and no matter what problems my students would come to me with like relationship, career, spirituality, creativity, money, it was always in the same few buckets. And what I started doing with them was flipping that, what I would say, right side up from you have a problem to you're trying to manifest a certain kind of energy into your life and into the world. And so eventually I put all those issues into archetypes, uh, like the creator, the healer, the warrior, the lover, the ones I go over in the book. And by no means did I invent these terms. I've had teachers teach me these different terms. I just put them in a certain structure that works for me and, and works for my students. And the analogy, analogy I like to use is like when white light passes through a prism, it refracts into the say, seven main colors of the rainbow. Um, and so as our awareness passes through this physical form out into the world, at one moment, we're being a creator, another a lover, another an artist, another an explorer. And for each of us, I think there are moments in life where we lose balance. So maybe we're in excess, we're a workaholic. So we're, we're being an excessive creator. Another moment, maybe we close our hearts. We're being um, an avoidant kind of lover. Another moment, maybe we're obsessed with our art, our project. We're being an excessive artist. And so we have to look around at our lives and see what maybe we're putting too much energy and effort into, maybe what's draining us, maybe what we're hiding from and avoiding and find balance. Because I think happiness is really uh, a reflection of how much balance we are and how fulfilled we are in each area of life. It can't just be one thing. And so that, that was kind of the philosophical idea I had around this seven energies and the archetypes. And in the book, I, you know, I give some practical meditations and action steps to find balance with each one. And I think it's a lifelong, lifelong work. And essentially that's where the book came out of it kind of slowly appeared over time as I was writing. It wasn't, it wasn't one big lightning strike. It was more of like pulling teeth, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's so <Yeah>. fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I, I love the, uh, I, I love the descriptions of the energy and uh, they're so important. Um, I, I, let's, let's just list the energies first and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into that if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So we've got the creator, the healers, the warrior, the lover, the artist, the explorer, and the master. I'm so glad that you said that, you know, this is kind of a lifelong path because sometimes when you, when you see something like this, it's like, oh my God, there's so much I have to do in order to to balance out all these energies, you know? And so it's not something that, that's something that you, you can just do at one time. It's like a lifelong path. It really is. <clears throat> you know, you know, when the, that like, traditional story of like guy comes home from work to his wife, the CEO of some company workaholic. And then in bed, he's still a CEO at dinner, at the dinner table. He's a CEO at breakfast. He's a CEO. And she's like, where's my husband? Or, or it could be the other way around. Maybe, you know, the, the female is the CEO or what, however it unfolds. And so like we, if we overwear one hat, we miss out on so many 
interactions, relationships, to developing as more full spectrum human beings. And I think we've all been guilty of that. Some people, they're like the excessive obsessive healer. Every scenario in life, every situation, they're just trying to heal the crap out of everybody, trying to fix everything. Always obsessed with the wrongs in the world, the pain in the world, never able to relax, never able to create art or to love, just obsessed with pain. And then there are people who maybe they're, uh, I'm always the teacher, you know, I've experienced that myself as a teacher. Uh, every time someone starts a conversation, I will expound on the nature of reality and tell you why everything's an illusion, nothing matters, and why I'm always right. right? <laughs> I, uh -oh. I, to, <laughs> I, I, I resonate with that one, David. <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I went to a party once and um, gathering of spiritual people, quote unquote, spiritual people. And there, I met somebody who I hadn't seen in, in a few years. And um, they had changed their name. Okay, whatever. And I said, how are you? And for about 20 minutes, they just went at me with the nature of the universe and how well they're doing and why reality is reality and just all this spiritual stuff, just pummeling me with it without me asking. And to me, that was an excessive master energy, always needing to be the teacher, always needing to be the guide, mm. always needing to know the answers and be the authority. And in a social scenario, someone you haven't seen in years, wasn't really the right, you know, comfortable response to how are you? <laughs> well, right. let me tell you about the nature of the universe, David, because <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> So we have to be able to switch hats. We have to be able to, I think, incorporate each part of ourselves. And when the outside world wants us just to be one thing or two things, it can be hard. There's expectation involved. We really do have to find what's true for us and see if we can live it. And it's easier said than done. And I think it's a one of those forever processes, you know, till the, till the day you die, finding balance is not something you do once. I don't think it's static. I think it's like riding a surfboard. You're always looking for balance. And so um, if you think you're going to get to perfect, you're probably excessive in one or more of those energies. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now for each of these energies, I just, I thought we'd start out with this. You, you suggest four tools, meditation, self-reflection, setting goals and taking action. And I wanted to add another tool and that's coffee, have coffee. I got it right here, actually. There you go. I only do, I only do half caffeinated and I only drink half a cup of that because I'm very sensitive. <laughs> I was just like, let me tell you everything. <laughs> so that's where we start to go excessive, right? Fueled excessive by the master, caffeine excessive, and the yeah. sugar. And yeah, absolutely. Well, and I would just say what you two are doing with this podcast and communicating part, part of that to me would be artist energy, the expression, this kind of expression energy in part would be explored. So when you're interviewing somebody, you're, you're learning information, you're exploring who they are, the audience and the listeners are exploring with you, which is super cool. So we've got artist energy, explorer energy, probably master energy, the spirituality and purpose, and it just gets me excited. It might you know, be a copy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and David, I just had a kind of an awareness when you were saying that too, of when you're a podcast host instead of um, somebody who's being interviewed, there's just this kind of fascinating, um, 
I don't know, tension of having so many things you want. Well, at least for me, I don't know about you, Jim, you'll have to chime in, but so many (laughs) things I want to say, and then I want to teach. And then I want to say, oh, did you know? And I think, no, 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 we're we're talking about David's book. And so it's this beautiful way of being able to, I think, you know, kind of force yourself beautifully into listening rather than being in that place of of the teaching or the expressing. And I, I find that when we do this every week, it, it gives a nice framework. I, I think that yeah. some of us, when we're creators or expressors or masters or whatever, providing ourselves frameworks, like your four tools and some of the things we'll go into, um, but you know, however we find that in our life for listening and for slowing down and taking in instead of putting out. I didn't realize that until, until you just said that. Thank you. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people too on one of my podcasts, Energy Matters, and uh, I got to experience that as well because I was always teaching uh, for years and years, just always teaching. And then I always became the listener and the absorber of information and wisdom and knowledge. And exact, I had the same awareness. It's like, oh, this is super cool. I get to sit back and learn and explore. Uh, and I love that switch of energy. And at first it was hard. I kept trying to go into teaching mode and I had to realize you know, that that's not this space. And I, that was a great shift for me. Yeah, it's really, it's wonderful to be able to share tools with people and be able to interview people like you that uh, have these paths that, you know, maybe people haven't considered before. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a pleasure to be able to bring that to people and uh, provide that as a, as a, as a path. And you never know which part of an interview is going to strike somebody. Like I've had people message me like, oh, that one thing you said four years ago on that one podcast shifted something in my life. I was like, what the hell did I say? No (laughs) idea. But that's amazing. Wonderful. So when you talk about meditation, is there is there a right or wrong way for meditation? I'm always curious about this because, you know, uh, some people seem to do it to music. Some people like a guided meditation. Some people just silence is what you what you have to do. It has to be just silent. What what do you suggest when you're going through these these energy cycles? What what works for you? Sure. And, and yes, the way I teach it is the right way. And, oh, <laughs> David's master is popping up. <laughs> my website is the only right way to meditate.com. And it's a big picture of my face. <laughs> oh my God. I should do that just for fun. That would be great. Just make that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, that would be a good one. No, I, I definitely do not think there's a right way to meditate. And I think the style should depend on where you are in your personal journey and just the type of energy somebody has. So if somebody really can't sit still, then doing a Vipassana style or Zen style sitting still meditation is going to be really hard for them out of the gate. So I like to try to meet people where they are, depending on you know the, the part of their journey that they're on. For me, when I started meditating, I definitely was sitting still and for many, many hours, and I loved it. And I don't think you could be good at meditating, but I was decent at sitting still. And I, I went and lived in the Himalayas and sat still and Hawaii and sat still and Bali and sat still. Where can I go and sit still? <laughs> that was my, I was a weird dude, Star Trek and sitting still. And 
um, what happens when people go to sit still is all, they notice all the noise that's already in their heads. Yes. It, it was always there, but then it starts torturing them because they have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I think what we do most of the day is we override the noise by being on our phones or on online or talking to people or eating, drinking, whatever it is, smoking 30 joints a day in Colorado. <laughs> this is what I see. Yeah, I'm sure everything... Yeah, everything's totally fine. Totally <laughs> fine. I haven't been to work in two weeks. <laughs> um, overriding, avoiding. Tend to, you, you, people go in one or the other direction. They override, they avoid different kinds of coping mechanisms. So when we sit still, all the noise, maybe all the emotional noise, energetic noise starts to come up too. And that doesn't feel good. So a lot of people, they start to meditate. It doesn't feel good. And they get up and they run away. I think that if you're going to go into meditation, you have to understand that part of the process is accepting and learning how to almost enjoy being uncomfortable and literally almost enjoy pain because you know that pain is teaching you. So there's this, uh, I've heard Ray Dalio, the hedge fund manager, say this a lot. He's a longtime meditator. Uh, Pain plus reflection equals growth and pain without reflection doesn't equal growth. So when we sit and meditate and there's noise, one of the things I like to do with my students is go, well, what is the noise made of? So let's imagine the emotional or mental noise is, is the weather. So what is the weather like right now? Well, it's storm, it's cloudy. There's a shit storm. There's a, there's a tornado of anger coming through, whatever it is and recognizing that and then facing it. So um, kind of an easy four-step process I like to use is, uh, find it, feel it, face it, and then heal it. So we, we find it by allowing it to arise. Uh, and then we let ourselves feel it uh, without trying to run away. Usually we feel something we don't like, we immediately run away. Mm-hmm. So feel it and stay present. And then, we re- and then we have to really face it. We have to look at it and go, well, what are you truly made of? Because usually the thoughts that we're having are not really what the energy is it's just some story we're weaving so if if you're like oh why is this barista taking so long why is this dumbass in front of me you know at this traffic light not going why is my partner being such a jerk usually underneath those initial thoughts and feelings there's something deeper and there are layers and layers so we've got frustration on top anger underneath sadness under that and then fear under that just as, as an example and when we sit and meditate we allow the, all of those layers to peel back and we start to heal and let go. That's when something really shifts in us and then we can sit still. And then we could really be present, understand what silence is and who we are underneath all the noise. But to do that out of the gate for a lot of people is hard. So that's why I tend to start with teaching them how to deal with all the layers of energy. And I also try to teach them tools for them to be able to find their own answers. So we've got two physical eyes that see the world, the physical world. And then when we close them, our inner eye opens. And with that eye, we have what we might call insight. So we could see in, right? We could see ourselves, maybe even see into other people and see how they're feeling, what they're, what they're going through. And so we have this inner eye of wisdom that awakens as we meditate. And that one is an atrophy for most people. It's like an unused muscle that's really weak. And one of the first things I like to do is have everyone learn how to see images and energy, not just feel, but actually see. So you can start to see your own answers. So whatever question 
somebody asks me, no matter what it is, on some level, it's always like, David, what's my next step? And I want to teach them how to be able to see and know that next step for themselves. So your meditations could be like an answer generating machine over time. I'm stuck. I'm confused. I have doubt. I'm afraid. And sit, work through the energy, find your answer over and over and over. So you become your own authority. Because we live such an external uh, focused life, all of our authorities are external, right? Mm -hmm. Our spiritual teachers, our, our scientists, whoever, everyone, our teachers, our priests, our parents, all of these external authorities. And of course, we have to have external authorities. We can't know everything. But, but in that, we lose our internal authority and knowingness. And meditation is a way of developing that, that skill, that ability to have your own internal authority, get your own answers. Because there are questions in life nobody can answer for you. Like, is this the right partner for me? Is this my career path? Who am I? Why am I here? There is no scientist, social scientist, physicist, scholar, spiritual teacher that can hand you those answers. Even if they did, it wouldn't work out because you didn't do the work to get those answers. Hmm. So I always tell my students our answers are born out of our energy. So your answers might not exist yet. As you shift who you are, just like as a flower opens and then blossoms and there's this beautiful fragrance that comes off, that's what happens when we shift our energy, we open and then our answers are born. And then some of them just like appear on the screen of our mind's eye. Oh, there it is. Oh, 10 years, I almost spilled my coffee. 10 years of sitting and being frustrated. I finally shifted. I finally let go of that pain. And then my answer just like flowered and I got it. Hmm. And I think not a lot of people are willing to do that kind of work. And whenever someone comes to me, it's like, I'm really stuck. I They hate this, but I often say like, Give it five or 10 years, you know? Oh you my really gosh. Oh my gosh. I want that immediately. What are you talking about? Five or 10 I years? I need it now, David. I'll pay more. Just give it to me now. Can I Uber eats my spiritual answers to show up <laughs> at my front door 10 minutes ago? When you talk about <laughs> self-reflection, what? how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, sure. journaling is is a great way to do it, I know. But how... What are ways that you can get yourself to, to do the self-reflection? There, there are a lot of ways in meditation. What I Maybe a few tools we could learn. One of them is when you close your eyes, turn on the screen of your mind's eye, almost like a, when a, like a nice uh, flat screen TV or IMAX theater, right? So you're, you, you want to orient your awareness behind your eyes in the center of your head. And in meditation, sometimes I'll have my students see what the room in their heads actually looks like. Maybe it's dim or dark or too small and have them kind of redesign it. So between our temples, we have our temple, right? Mm -hmm. Our inner temple. So we bring our awareness there first and orient ourselves. And then we have to know where to look. So maybe we turn the screen on of our mind's eye. And then on that screen, we can start to reflect. And I think there's no better way than allowing whatever you're feeling and experiencing to just arise. Maybe it arises in an image form and then to look at it and go, well, for example, a lot of people will have a recurring sequence of thoughts all throughout the day. Like maybe there's a few or one in particular, like three or four images on a film strip that just goes around again and again all day. I effing hate that person. This is what they did to me. 
that person owes me money, whatever it is. And so we could take that film strip, put it on the screen of our mind's eye, freeze it in place, and then look at what the energy underneath each image really is. All right, so that first image is frustration. The second is resentment. The third is anger. And the fourth is actually sadness. Oh, I'm actually sad because someone I cared about treated me that way. That's, that could be a huge answer. Like, whoa, I've been covering up the sadness with anger. And then just with that awareness, the energy starts to shift. Maybe it melts off. The pictures become more neutral and less charged, like a particle that's like really fully charged. And then we could be have a neutral, almost loving relationship with our memories and our thoughts instead of this almost uh, antagonistic one. Oh, you're back. I hate you. Right, you start fighting our own thoughts. And we all know that doesn't really go well because they're here and they're not going to go away by fighting them. Usually what we resist, as we all know, will endlessly persist. So I think that's a really cool way to start by reflecting. Um, find out what's persistently bothering you, put it on the screen of your mind's eye and look at it with neutral eyes and accepting eyes and as much self-honesty as possible. And on its own, I think you could shift a lot just by doing that. And I always use this quote from Pema Chodron, the Buddhist monk, where she says, nothing goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. And those thoughts will come back for the next 10 or 20 years if you don't face them. And a lot of meditations will... Uh, you know, teachers will say, you know, ignore your thoughts, let them pass. I think that's a very valid form of meditation. But if you're not ready for that, or that's, or, or there's some energy you need to really look at, then instead of ignoring your thoughts, freeze them on your screen of your mind's eye and face them and see what happens. And that's how that fourth step. So we find it, feel it, face it, and then we heal it. And when we heal, then we finally let it go. And then naturally our mind empties and we have space. So the third tool, David, that you talk yes. about is setting goals. And, and I want to ask you about that, perhaps with a little bit of a self-confession uh, and, and self-serving question, because I'm someone who has Excel sheets and notebooks <laughs> and three ring binders <laughs> and one note files full of setting goals, like wow. setting goals is a goal sometimes. So, you know, within that framework, can you talk a little bit about how you approach setting goals? And also for those of us who might be over setters of goals, uh, what balanced setting goals look like? I know that's a lot of questions wrapped up sure. in one. I think sometimes excessive goal setting could be part of the excessive creator in us. And it could be a form of avoidance, avoiding the present moment, avoiding who we are now this dream that one day I'll be a better person or different or things will be different, that in and of itself could be some kind of overriding or avoidance. There's a seduction always in always thinking about how things can be better. You know that if I say, what would you do with a million dollars or $10 million immediately? Everybody's <laughs> endorphin. Everyone's like, oh, I would sit for 10 years doing nothing, David. I can answer <laughs> that immediately. <laughs> Uh huh. Sure. Surrounded by, I don't see that at all. <laughs> yeah. I, would. I don't. I, would, I don't which, see you sitting at all for ten years like Jim, that. Oh I my think, gosh. I think that's, but I think that's the point because that's mm. the that's the opposite. I think of for me that's the polar opposite of the mm. of the overdoing and the oversetting and the creating and the ideating and the sparks that come into your head and you need to follow those. 
you know, yeah. the, the other the other side of that coin is if you could stop that and if you could sit still for 10 years, oh my God, how amazing would that be? Okay, I would probably get bored in about three days, but yeah, you, know, the, you might. I think it speak I think it speaks to that point of the the unbalance of seeing, you know, the the flip side of creator energy, perhaps. So there's this story I love to tell. I interviewed this Indian philosopher once, Devdut Patanayak, if I can say his name right. And I share this story in my book. Um, he's an Indian philosopher, and he talks about how when Alexander the Great uh, went to India and he met a yogi, and then he fantasizes about their story where Alexander sees his naked yogi and says, what are you doing with your life? And, and the yogi says, I'm focusing on nothingness. And Alexander laughs and he goes, what a waste of a life. And the yogi goes, what are you doing with your life? And Alexander says, I'm going to take over the whole world. I'm 27. (laughs) And the yogi laughs and goes, what a waste of a life. And I think those are the two competing parts of us, the East and the West, the, the Western part of us that always wants to make progress, move forward, very future based consciousness, you know, go reach the stars you know, and beyond. And then, um, and then the Eastern part of us that goes, no, we need to go inwards, sit still, find out who we are. This world is an illusion. It will pass away soon. It's better to develop ourselves on the inside and be present. And I think we all have both of those and there's some tension between them. I think that tension is actually good and that you can be both sides. And I think you can plan for the future from the present. So it's not about goal setting for me as much as what kind of energy energy are you in when you're goal setting. And instead of goal setting, like, I wish this would happen. If you meditate and see what's really true for you, like, is this a true goal? Is it, does this really resonate for me, with me? And is this my soul's purpose to create in life? And if you really touch that energy, then that's a very natural goal that life wants you to be aware of on your path versus I want $10 million to sit on a beach or whatever. And and, uh, you just like taking somebody else's goal or you're manufacturing one that's not true for you. I think what's more important is, are we really in touch with what our real energy and goals are? And then, and then it's more of like a imperative, like a spiritual imperative to manifest them into the world. It's not just for pleasure or for ego or vanity uh, or to avoid pain, but it's because like there's something deeper in life, you know, moving through us and we're honoring that. So it depends on the energy. I think that you're setting the goals in, um, rather than the uh, process itself. That, 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 that is really, yeah. that's really helpful. Cause I, you know, I find for those of us who are advocates or activists. And so, so much of our doing is on behalf of, or our doing is not necessarily a fixing of self, but a fixing of the, the suffering or the horrors that we see around us. I, I suppose that's probably overactive healing energy. Right. But, but the or, idea or of, yeah how 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 can one sit how can one sit when or how can one um you know self-reflect or take time for oneself when there's so much going on yeah so i I think what you're talking about that yeah that that tuning into the energy with which one sets is a real juicy nugget and it's the same for activism so are you being being an activist out of resistance and anger and frustration, which is then the energy you're sharing with the world, or are you doing it out of true purpose and mission that you know is the right path for you? 
So rather than going, oh, there's a million problems in the world, I have to solve them all. Which ones are, am I truly called to put my attention on? And finding that out intuitively is a process of discovering who you really are. And there are too many problems for you to solve. They'll be here after you pass away, after we all pass away. So then the question is, what's what's really right for you to do? And I always tell my students, there's been war and carnage, disease and hate since the beginning of time. If you read, if I give you a newspaper from 10 years ago and 20 and 30 and 40, right? We can go back and back and back. We've got wars every decade. We've got world wars, we've got famines, we've got everything, you know, inquisitions and all, all the things going back through time. And, and so I think the idea that I'm going to just spend all my time fixing everything is a bit of an avoidance. Mm-hmm. And it's a very seductive kind of avoidance because I'm doing good work in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I will literally go to the edge of the earth and do everything I can to fix the world to avoid one drop of pain inside myself. And I will use it to justify that I don't have time to look at my own pain. And that's a very seductive way for the ego to operate. So I think you really want to be careful with that because everybody on earth will validate you for taking that path. Uh, You could have said that to the Buddha, right? 2,500 years ago, you could say, hey, there's people starving all across India and Nepal. Here you are sitting and meditating. What are you really doing for the world? You could have said that to Jesus. You could have said that to anybody who followed a specific path. And so I think we have to step back and really decide who we really are and what we're really here to give and focus on that. And it takes a big ego to think, I'm going to fix everything. You know, <laughs> but I am David, but I am. All right, go to the four tool, Jim. <laughs> so, it, what you're speaking to is taking action with the right energy. I mean, the 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 energy that you're using is yeah. to take action. Is that is that correct? Exactly, and you know, we can see that energy in certain people, right? There are great people in history that we we look at and go, not only did they maybe do what we thought was the right thing, the right action, but they did it in the right energy, not in hateful vengeance or uh, ego or over identification with their tribe, whatever it is. But they did it with a little twinkle in their eye and a light smile and recognizing this is life and we're going to show up, I'm going to show up with my heart. And I think there are lots of people in history, you know, there's some great examples. um, And can you be one of those as well? If we're too much on the external outcome, we we really miss something. So I think energy first, and then action should be born out of that energy and not the other way around. You're not going to one day be saved by your actions. Uh, I think you have to shift your energy first. And that's the only way the the earth ever changes because we'll just keep manifesting new problems, right? Climate change is a newer problem. And one day climate change will be over. We'll focus more on nuclear waste or we'll focus more on asteroids or, you know, flares from the sun or some new nanotechnology that's destroying everyone or some genetic engineering that's unfair because the rich have more access. The problems won't end. They'll just transform, you know, nuclear um, war problem there's just like they'll just continue to proliferate if we don't shift ourselves from the inside out we'll find new ways of hurting each other and the planet endlessly so if we over focus on the external we're going to miss what's causing all of these problems which really is just us 
all these problems on earth are caused by us. It's not like there was not enough resources for human beings. There's not like, uh, it's not like the air, air, air was poisoned before we started or the water, right? We've created all of these issues. There were nation states and tribes fighting. Uh, we created all of this and and which which is good because that means we can also heal it ourselves if we created it ourse- ourselves. And uh, some of the bigger global problems give us a great opportunity to come together more uh, as a species. And I think going forward, you'll see more global problems and bigger ones, and, and it'll continue to challenge us to be one species, something like along the lines of climate change and world wars, because um, I just think naturally as an evolution of a species, it'll either tear us apart or bring us together. And that's always the challenge. So uh, I'm not one of those people that thinks in 10 years, everything's going to be rosy and everyone is going to spiritually awaken and we'll be done. I think the problems will probably get more amplified and there'll be more polarity um, and there'll be great opportunity. There'll be a silver lining in all of that, hopefully. Yeah. Or it'll all end quickly and I'll see you guys up there. <laughs> I'll have a drink at the Star wow. Wars bar at the end of the universe. Right. Right. <laughs> Damn, so, Earth ended faster than I thought. Great to see you, Jim. <laughs> oh my. Oh Captain my. James T. Kirk, right there here. There you go. There you go. So let's dive into some of the energies. I don't know if we'll have the opportunity to dive into all of them, but um, cre- you mentioned uh, the creator energy earlier and I'm curious, what is that energy? I know it's builder, maker, doer. And, and what's the difference between a creative creator energy and an artist energy, for instance? Sure. Um, I consider the creator energy more, maybe you're a farmer, maybe you're running a business, you're, you're, you're building and doing something, but that doesn't necessarily take creativity. You could be right? Just kind of mindlessly, you know, knocking a hammer on a nail, um, or you could be running an organization. So this is the part of us that does the work and builds and makes, but then we might have to tether that to artist energy. So if I'm building a building, but I also have to design the building, and that's my artist in me with, with my creator, or I, I'm an entrepreneur, I started a company, and then I also have to be very creative in how I develop the products. Maybe the products themselves are creative endeavor. So that's the artist in me. Or maybe I have to evangelize what I've created. That might be the artist in me. So these energies often work together. And you'll see people with no create, creative energy and they're more creators. You know, I run a business, I run this project, but they're not really in an artistic vibration. So I think a lot of great entrepreneurs and creators in the world have a really strong artist in them as well. So for example, like if you take Apple, you have a device, lots of companies made devices, but Steve Jobs had an artist in them. He took calligraphy classes. He understood something about kind of the user experience and the beauty of an iPhone, of an iPad, right, of a computer. And that's what made it the biggest company in the history of the world. I think Apple and Microsoft, right? Uh, I think Microsoft, less of the artist energy. When you use Apple products, you can kind of feel the difference. And that was probably the birth of Steve Jobs's artist energy, along with his creator energy. Uh, same with the Tesla car. <laughs> I think you get the creator, and then you got beautiful artistry, if you've ever sat in one. Oh, this gives me the perfect segue to healer. <laughs> I'm going to go here. Sure. So, you know, if we think of Steve Jobs and we think of Bill Gates, 
and you know behind that beauty and the way they put their companies together and what I when I think beyond the product to kind of the things that Bill has been involved in versus what Steve was right. involved in I see a little bit of healer energy in there do do I see that Correct. What what is healer yeah. energy and and can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So I've never met Bill Gates. Um, so I can only assume that would be healer energy. It seems like it. Uh, wanting to you know stop people from dying from diseases like what he's done with malaria. Um, or he's also got a lot of creator energy. Obviously, as a businessman, he's also working on uh, small nuclear reactors, which are probably going to be a big part of the future. I would have to guess of energy infrastructure. So that's a lot of creator energy. Um, but yeah, if you're somebody trying to you know help people and fix the world, then I would guess that would be healer energy of some kind. And if you just have a deep compassion for humanity, might also be part of your lover energy. So uh, I don't know what's in his heart. I've never met him, but externally speaking, if you're interested in those things, now that 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 might be healer lover energy. Now, if you're just doing it for vanity or for power, then we might have an excessive master energy. Master, yeah. We might have a, a deficient lover. Like there's, I have no love in my heart. And so I'm going to get the whole world to like me. Um, and so that could be a very deficient lover energy. Now a deficient lover might turn into a dictator, right? Like a Hitler with like, nobody loved me. I didn't get into art school. See what happens when we suppress the artist in us. And then <laughs> you suppress it's- the artist and you suppress the lover, you become a Hitler. <laughs> is it is it possible? I'm having this this awareness that that it isn't really possible to put these energies in silos or to speak about one right. energy because it always is leading you to a conversation of another one. Is is that accurate in your your viewpoint of these energies? Yeah, absolutely. And just like like white light has every color in it, right? So every color comes from one. So out of the one comes all these colors, thousands of colors, as you mix them together, there's thousands of variations, right? If you've ever been to the paint store to buy some paint, look through the book, it's just like that. And so, yes, they're all interdependent, I would say on each other, and they work best together. And um, if you're just one, you're going to be in a weird silo, and you're probably going to be missing out on a lot of connections and energy in life. So for sure. And so again, like, the deficient lover, if it doesn't get what it needs and like serious, serious deficiency, that can turn really dark. And I think that's probably the cause of a lot of the pain on earth. If you look at any dictator, despot on earth, you, you see a deficient lover energy. I've never seen a dictator like full of love, <laughs> you know, right, it's right. Always, I don't have enough. I need to take more. And since you don't love me, you will fear me. And if you don't, I will punish you. I mean, that's just like a wounded child 101, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see it. Yeah. You can see it in North Korea. You can see it in Russia. You can see it uh, all over. It's like it plays out again. It's like a stupid movie that you've seen a hundred times. You're like, how is this real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> playing out again. My God, I could predict exactly how this is going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the... Uh, I'm curious about the explorer energy. Um, how does that come into things? What is that exactly? Sure. Um, maybe the explorer is the 
it could be anything from like, for example, I love looking into the stars. I love, I'm a Trekkie. I love to know about other planets, other solar systems, galaxies, are there other universes, multiverse. So the explorer might look out that way. Maybe the explorer looks down. What is the human body made of? What's inside of a cell? What's inside of a particle, a quantum particle on and on, right? Maybe you're an explorer as a, in terms of being a traveler, you want to see over the next hill, over the horizon, again and again and again. I want to always see over the horizon in one direction or another. Maybe you take psychedelics and you close your eyes and you explore other dimensions inside yourself. So, Or maybe you explore history or anthropology, sociology. I want to know why people tick the way they do. So it's that curiosity, that awe that Einstein talks about that's such a driver of the human spirit and of uh, innovation. It's in all of us and it moves us to see more of the world. So it could be inner or outer exploration. And I think we all have it and it gives it, it's a, there's a certain kind of pleasure in getting to know the unknown. We could block ourselves with that. I mean, that self-limitation you talk about is one of the barriers to that. What do you mean by that? Um, well, let's take an example of somebody who never leaves their hometown, could care less what's going on in the world, never studies or explores anything, and they live a very flat, square, monotonous life. And we all see that and feel that as a tra tragedy to us, right? Like there's so much to explore. So that might be a certain kind of self-limitation that's born of fear, born of small-mindedness, born of um who knows what kind of other energies. So we can limit ourselves in any area, in any energy. And uh, it's, I, I get very sad when I see uh, someone who's explorer, inner explorer is very stunted or never had the opportunity to grow. Uh, I'm like, there's so much beauty and amazing, amazingness in the world. And you're just watching a bunch of crap on TV and hiding. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we podcasting. I, yeah, we would explore right thousands Absolutely. of podcasts, endless content. What a way to explore! I think yeah. we have to touch on the master energy too, because that seems really important. A, a kind of a seeker of truth. What is the master energy? Sure. Yeah, I would consider the master energy the part of us that seeks truth, purpose, bigger picture of life, uh, and also maybe a part of us that eventually becomes a guide or a teacher for others, you know, especially as we get older, it's very natural human part of human evolution and part of societal structure that the older people with more experience teach and share with the younger people so they can survive, learn and grow. So that, I think that's a natural tendency for many of us as we develop and learn, we want to share, share that wisdom. I love that quote, uh, um, good, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. After all. <laughs> that's <great. laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. We all have to go through that process and then share our wisdom. And so uh, I think we, each of us has that maybe as a parent, as a partner, as a guide, professional guide or teacher, as a friend, there are always moments where we're the ones who have to be the guide and we want to own that part of ourselves. And so that's, that's for me, that's part of the master energy. And it's a really fulfilling energy to be able to help others and to be a guide and to care about purpose and meaning. So that, that's how I see the master energy. There might be other aspects of it I haven't explored yet. I keep the definitions of these energies very loose. 
I don't know everything. I, I'd rather keep them open for interpretation and let people see them the way that, you know, it really works for them. Well, David, I hate to say it, but we need to wind things up here. And uh, uh, Josh, there, there's so much that we could talk about. I want to hear so much more about it. So maybe we'll bring you on again sometime. We'd be happy to. Uh, if you had one final piece of advice that you'd like to give our audience, what would that be? You know, uh, I, I tend to think about death maybe too much <laughs> on occasion. Uh, I think this was the first one, one of the first awarenesses of the Buddha that everybody everybody is getting old, getting sick, and dying. Part of the four noble truths uh, that he started to explore, and here we are meditating thousands of years later. And so we have this very finite amount of time. We, I can predict with 100% accuracy how, that your life will end, that my life will end, all of our physical lives will end. And I think when we get to that end, that's when we really go, what the hell was important to me? And did I waste my time? I, I, we must all go through that. I haven't been at the end of life yet, but uh, I've just experienced it in meditation, reflecting on it and watching others go through it. And so why wait until the very end to do that? If you do it now, I think you won't have to do it when you're passing away and you won't have regrets. And so if this was your last day on earth, what would you really spend your time doing and caring about? And for me, like when, have you ever experienced a lot of turbulence on the plane and going, oh, this is it, we're going to go down. And then you start thinking about what's really important. We've all, I think we've all had that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I was sitting next to this stupid ass and this is my last moment. Ah, wait, don't <laughs> complain. Focus, focus. <laughs> I wish I had an apple juice. Okay. David said, think about important things. I'm dying. No, <laughs> I think that uh, we go, we, we, most of us go to relationships. At least that's where I go. All the people in my life that I care deeply about and the relationships that I've cultivated. And I think that when we go, the only things that matter are the love we've cultivated and the wisdom we've gained. I think we get to keep that after death. That's just my assumption that the love we've cultivated and the wisdom that we've gained through our experience, we get to keep after death everything else goes. And so I think it's worth investing in things that last forever um, rather than things that turn to dust. And so invest in what matters. And to me, that's relationships that I build and the love that I have with folks in, in my life, people in my life, and uh, the wisdom that I get to cultivate as, as I have this human experience. So I would say, if you focus on those two things, keep it simple, you're going to be a lot more fulfilled uh, in life and in death. That would be my parting words. Well, thank you, David. It's been such a pleasure having you on Big Universe. Uh, it's, it's been awesome. Thanks. For more information about David Gandelman, check out his website and make sure I get this right, meditationschool.us. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. And, and make sure you pick up his new book, The Seven Energies of the Soul. For more information about Sarah Bowen and to order her new book, Sacred Sendoffs, go to www.sacredsendoffs.com. You, you can find out more about me on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter with Sarah Bowen. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation 
and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.